Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard as we record uh, right here around midnight. So by the time many of you uh, listen to this, we'll uh, we'll all have had a good night's rest. And uh, for those of you in the late night crowd, you're welcome. I've had many of you reach out and say, hey, Steve, I appreciate you doing it. There are many people that work uh, overnight, work late shifts, or get up early. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to kind of make an adjustment in the schedule so you guys are able to listen to the show kind of whenever you want to. And so uh, it has taken a toll on your good friend and host from time to time. I do get a little bit tired these days, but uh, happy to report that uh, the new book, it's a book of poetry and some inspirational thoughts and a short story about uh, me and my dad, my son, and some some great things that happened over the course of uh, you know the later years of his life is uh, all chronicled in my new book blooms of oleander i have uh, sent all the approvals in on that book it will go out to the printer in three to five days and then in about a month we'll have a release date for you so as soon as i have purchase information i will share it with you guys here on the show and in all forms of social media so looking like somewhere around the early part of june and I, i'm glad to kind of get that behind me it's one of those things too like when i when i want to write about you know, Mississippi State, it's easy to do that. If I want to write about, you know, the the 2019 college baseball season, there's no shortage of people that I can call in the interview. I can go back and watch games or, you know, I can dig up uh, stories and that kind of stuff and game recaps and, and kind of, uh, you know, pull some facts, some things I want to write about from all of that. It's a little different when you're dealing with uh, things a little more personal like poetry, and much of this is autobiographical. You know, a lot of it's about, you know, failed relationships and things of that nature. You've heard me talk about it. And there's also some, some positive stuff in there, too. It's not all just depressing stuff. So so it's uh, it's me being very vulnerable in many ways, kind of being naked before the world, good, bad, or indifferent. So I'm a little bit eager to see how it's going to be received. I don't expect to sell nearly as many books with that I did with do with this as I did with the uh, you know, with, with Flim Flam, uh, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. But uh, I'm very proud of the work. I'm ready to have this part of it over. I'm ready to get through uh, all of this and kind of get it on the shelves and then you know, be able to have you know, something tangible that people can purchase and kind of keep. And, and uh, your support has been tremendous. I thank you guys so much for that. So Blooms of Oleander looks like a release date in early June. And so it'll be available uh, on Amazon and in great bookstores around the state of Mississippi It'll be available in hardback, paperback, and also an ebook. I know many people have asked about that. And because of the fact that I'm doing this through a different publisher, there are a few other things that are available. And so uh, eager to get you guys an opportunity to read that sort of stuff. Uh, I've had many people tell me that the short story in there about me and my dad is uh, arguably the best thing that I've ever written. And uh, I, I never know how to take that. You know, like people have said, you know what, hey, you know, Steve, I think you've got a winner here. So. I share that with you guys because I think that, uh, you know, in, in some respects, we've all probably felt the same way about many of the same things. So I've written that, and uh, as soon as I got done with the writing process for this book, I said, I don't know if I'll ever do this again. But now that I've probably about a month away, a month, it kind of had that in review mirror for a month, I thought, you know what, maybe we'll do this in a couple of years. Maybe every couple of years in between Mississippi State books, maybe I'll do this. And it's, again, it's not necessarily a, a money-making venture. Of course, I do hope to make some money in it. But at the same time, too, it's, uh, it's really about expressing art and uh, some things that are very personal to me and things that are very heartfelt. And so I'll, I'll look forward to doing that again. So that's kind of the tentative plan. Next year, 
Uh, the current plan is to write a book about Mississippi State baseball. So that'll be the 2022 project, and then 2023 probably come back and do maybe another book of poetry. And at some point, we'll finish that book about recovery. I've written, I've probably written about 25,000 words in that book, and you know maybe that comes out in 2023 as well. And a lot of people have uh, have asked about that. And what's interesting is when when I signed the book deal for Flim Flam, the understanding was you know Flim Flam did well, then we would do a sequel to Flim Flam and do a book of recovery. So it was essentially kind of a three book agreement. Well, I still haven't gotten around to that because you guys uh, were so happy with Stark Villains, we decided to go ahead and write a sequel to that. And when I first sat down to write the sequel to Flim Flam, my heart just really wasn't in it. I said, you know, I don't know if there's enough story here. We need to let some time pass and kind of see how things go uh, before we kind of follow up with Flim Flam. But uh, there are still some cool things going on with Flim Flam. We'll talk about those when we can. I'm eager to share that with you. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. But the next few years, I'll be very, very busy. And, And it's interesting, too. You know, when I sat down and, you know, finished up Flim Flam, you begin to ask yourself, you know, how many of these do I have in me? You know, can I sit down and do these things again? And, and uh, it was very, 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 very relieving to get Stark Villains done because, you know, Flim Flam was a book that had a lot of controversy, even though it was a book of facts and a book of truth. It still took a big emotional toll on me because, you know, you know, every single day you're sitting around waiting for a process server to come, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. It doesn't stop anybody from doing anything stupid. But Stark Villains was more of a good news book. And so I got a lot of joy from doing that. And learning a lot of things about Mississippi State. And so when we got ready to sit down and do Alpha Dogs, I kind of understood the format and kind of how all that worked. And so it was a lot easier to do that. Alpha Dogs is essentially my quarantine project. And so I never expected to have, uh, you know, four books in basically, uh, you know, five years. You know, Flim Flam comes out in 17, and then we do, you know, Stark Villains in 19, and then uh, Alpha Dogs in 2020, and now Blooms of Oleander in 2021. So... Uh, a lot goes into this work, and it's never anything easy, but it's also very, very rewarding. And uh, you guys have been so incredibly gracious. And many of you have come to book signings and said, hey, listen, Steve, this is some of the best stuff I've ever read. I can't begin to tell you what that means to me. When I first moved to Starkville, when I was making you know, the plans back in uh, 2014 to move up here full-time and, and make Starkville my home, that was one of the goals of mine is I wanted to tell more of the Mississippi State story because we have not been fairly represented in Mississippi's literary heritage and so I saw a need there and we jumped in there and it's been absolutely wonderful it's been everything that I hoped it would be and then some Uh, but the main thing too is just you know being able to tell our story and kind of share our vantage point about the rivalry and about you know some great moments that we've all come to celebrate and so if you're looking for those books you can find them at alphadogsthebook.com and uh, we're still doing really well with the Stark Villain Church I have people that contact me and uh, may end up making some changes in kind of how we distribute all that. I'd really like to have more of a retail presence with those shirts because, I mean, at least once a week, I have people that say, hey, where can I get the shirts? I hear you talking about them. You go to StarkVillains.com. Pretty easy, pretty simple. Uh, the good folks at Deep South Pout, the same management group that handles all that, handles the shirts. So we'll see how that kind of progresses and grows, but uh, that has not gone away. And many people have said, hey, Steve, I'd like to get a hoodie and this or that or whatever. Uh, so I've got a lot going on, to say the least. So I want to make it as accessible to you guys as we possibly can be. I want it to be a good experience for everybody involved. So again, find the books. You can get signed, personalized copies. That's the thing. If you go buy it on Amazon, 
Uh, there's no guarantee it's going to be signed because if it's an Amazon book, it's not going to be signed. But if you buy it through a Mississippi bookstore or through the website directly, uh, you can get it to say whatever you want it to say. If you want to give that as a gift or whatever, we're happy to do that. So, again, that's alphadogsthebook.com, and you can get everything there, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. So that's where we are with all that. Big show today. Done a lot of research. Got a lot of notes for today's show. Going to talk a lot about college baseball. That's kind of where we are. And we Listen, we are a baseball school. I love college football. I love it more than a friend. I really, really do. But uh, this time of year, college baseball is really beginning to heat up. We've basically got four weekends of SEC play left. There's a lot of confusion out there with a lot of people on how this NCAA regional selection process is going to go. And the truth of the matter is, it's not really going to be any different. The one caveat is the fact that it's going to be about you know, COVID pro- protocol, testing, that sort of stuff. And what that means is you're going to have to accommodate you know, basically twice as many teams. You know, right, right now, you, you kind of have to handle your own stuff. But uh, when you do a regional, you've got to be able to test everybody involved. And you've got to be able to turn those results around really quickly. So that's all part of the bidding process. When you submit your bid, you also submit your plan uh, for the COVID testing protocols and your sites and all that sort of stuff, kind of who all is going to handle that. And so those 16 sites will be announced after the South Carolina series. That's when they're going to be announced. And they're not going to seed the field then. Some people think, oh, well, then the, the month of May doesn't matter. The month of May matters a tremendous amount, less like it always does, because that's what's going to determine seeding the field. It's not going to be as simple as, okay, well, we already know that we're going to be a, be a top eight national seed come May 10th. That, that's not the understanding that I have. I'm going to announce the 16 regional sites. They have done that before. It was always usually announced right in that, that weekend of the SEC tournament. And then once the tournaments are over, they announce the top eight national seeds in the full 60-14 field. So really the only difference in that respect is that we're going to announce the regional sites much sooner and – any upsets in a regional round will not lead to a you know number two or three seed hosting a super regional. And what that means is that of those sixteen sites, they're going to host eight of those sixteen regional hosting sites will host super regionals, whether your team advances or not. Let's say for an example that uh, Arkansas gets you know a top two national seed, and they get upset in the regional. Well, if they were if they were selected as a super regional site, then Fayetteville would would host two teams that are not named Arkansas. So once you submit your bid and you agree to do that, you're locked in whether your team advances or not. That's in the literature. So what happened with us back in um, 2007, I guess it was, when um, Mississippi State and Clemson both upset number ones in the regional, we hosted the Super. Well, that would not be available to us this year. We would be on the road playing at a neutral site so it is kind of convoluted, and I understand that. And as we get closer to it, you know, we still got a couple of weeks to kind of figure some things out. We'll have more information about that. One of the things that you can be certain about is that Bulldog Burger Company is always a number one seed. They're a super regional host site every time that you need a great meal. Two great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Star Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Coming soon to Ridgeland as Bulldog Burger Company begins to take over the world. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you better looking. It's a science deal. I mean, I don't make the rules. I just let you guys know. Have those spring, those spring rolls as your appetizer, and you and everyone around you will be better looking. We all need more of that. Find your own favorites. I'm really big right now 
on that grilled chicken club. Matter of fact, the last uh, three of the last four times I've gone in there, that's what I've had. The other time I had the BLT salad, which I think is the most substantial salad in Starkville. It's fresh, it's delicious, and you always get your money's worth. I've had many people reach out to me and say, you know what, Steve, you're right about those portions. I've never left Bulldog Burger Company uh, without maybe leaving a little something extra behind just because of the fact that the portions are so substantial. Go check them out today. It's time to go back. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so let's talk some baseball. Try to relax a little bit here. Speak down in a language and a tone that everybody can understand. So Mississippi State controls its own destiny to become a top eight national seed. We don't control our own destiny to be the SEC regular season champion. We are still very much in the mix there, but we need some help from around the league. So let's take a look at the standings right now here today. Vanderbilt and Arkansas, both 13-5 and records. Tennessee right there at 12-6, and six, a game out of first. And then Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State all right there at 11-7. So we're two games out of first. But of those teams that are in contention, we arguably have the easiest path to win the SEC title. We have a really good chance to start stacking some wins beginning this weekend. Four series left. The state should be favored to win all four of those series. The most difficult one, of course, being the road trip to South Carolina. South Carolina very much in the mix, too. Probably doing a little bit better than many people anticipated. I think the Gamecocks are a tough out. I mean, it's going to be difficult to sweep them. But if we go up there and win that series, that's the thing you begin to look at here, is with four series left, if we play all 12 games and State wins all four series, well, then all of a sudden you begin to think, okay, well, that's it's eight and four. So you take that eight and four mark and you put it with what you have now, that would make Mississippi State 19 and 11. Now, in order to win the SEC this year, we're going to have to win 20 more games. I mean, obviously there can be some upsets along the way. But to expect Vanderbilt and Arkansas both to lose multiple series is probably a little bit unrealistic. So we're going to have to sweep some people along the way. That could start this weekend with Texas A&M. A&M is having a very difficult year, as you guys are well aware. In the league, A&M just 5-13, and 24-19 overall, and 4-8 and eight on the road. One of the worst teams in the conference on the, on the road. So let's say we take those three. Well, now all of a sudden that, that changes the complexion. Now all of a sudden you're looking to be a 20-10 and 10 team. Still probably need some help around the league, but if you're 20-10, and 10, you're certainly in contention there. Let's say we go to South Carolina, we take two out of three there. Well, you're still on pace right there just because, you know, again, we talked about having to win all four of these series to give ourselves a realistic chance. Well, then you have Missouri coming in. In Missouri, 5-13 and 13 in the league, 12-26 and 26 overall. We have to sweep that weekend. Then you go, to, you go to Alabama after that, and Alabama is an improving team. They're 8-10 and 10 in the league and 24-15 and 15 overall. But with everything to play for and with leadership on this team and the quality of our pitching and our bullpen, you know, we have a chance to go sweep that series too. So let's say all of a sudden, rather than winning – these last four series, that State sweeps Texas A&M, sweeps Missouri, sweeps Alabama, and then wins two out of three at South Carolina. Well, now all of a sudden, 
Now all of a sudden you're a 22 win team. Now you're 22 and eight in the league, and that might be enough to win it. I took the liberty of looking up the last 10 years of SEC baseball and kind of looked at the records to say, okay, what's everybody done? Because more times than not, when you're 20 and 10, you're right there in the thick of things to win the SEC regular season championship. So 2020, we did not have an SEC championship despite the fact that uh, some old Miss people went and got tattoos and declared themselves national champions. You know, when you, when you don't play a conference game, uh, nobody takes any of that stuff seriously. It's really kind of stupid. But 2019, your eventual national champion, Vanderbilt Commodores, went 23-7 and that year. And so they actually won the league, I think, by two games. I can't remember who was second that year. But uh, on the western side, Mississippi State and Arkansas tied 20-10, and 10, and we were both SEC Western Division champions. Now, a couple of things I want to say about that. We don't celebrate divisional titles here at Mississippi State, not in baseball. We'll do it in football. We don't do it in baseball. We finished 20 and 10, tied with Arkansas. And some people said, well, yeah, Arkansas is the true champion because they swept us. And you know what? I can appreciate your line of thinking, but the SEC office doesn't differentiate. The bottom line is the record is the record. There is no tiebreaker except to go to the SEC tournament. So we were co-West champions for whatever that's worth. We ended up going Omaha. 2018, the University of Florida won the SEC regular season champion with a 20 and 10 record. Your Mississippi State Bulldogs finished the year 15 and 15. You may recall that we swept number one Florida the last weekend to ensure that we made it to Hoover, kept our hopes alive, went 0-1 in Hoover, and still managed to make it to Omaha that year. Florida was basically running away with this thing, and they came to Starkville, and all of a sudden Elijah Magami woke up and became the player that we all hoped he would be. Really carried us in that postseason. 2017, we had a two-way tie. We had University of Florida and LSU with a 21-9 record. Mississippi State went 17-13 and that year. We made it to Hoover. We made it to the Regionals. And then we made it to the Supers. You may recall that's the Andy Cannizzaro year. Went down to LSU and had a chance to win both of those ball games. Just, just didn't have enough pitching to kind of sustain it down there. And it's so difficult to go play at Alex Box Stadium. You can only imagine the atmosphere with a trip to Omaha on the line. But again, 20 and 10, that wins the league. That was 21 and 9, excuse me. 2016, Mississippi State wins the SEC regular season championship, 21 and 9 that year. So again, you start looking at the numbers that are available to Mississippi State and the wins that are available, and you begin to kind of realize this is this is kind of the target. You want to get to 20 plus wins to have a realistic chance of winning the SEC regular season championship. 2015, LSU wins the league with a 21-8 and record. They had a game rained out. Mississippi State went 8-22 and that year, did not participate in postseason. We've missed out on Hoover. 2014, the University of Florida wins the SEC regular season title with a 21-9 and record. Mississippi State goes 18-12, and makes it to a regional, goes 2-2 two and two in a Lafayette regional. Probably should have won that thing. And listen, Lafayette was an old veteran team that year. If you recall, that's a year, too, that if we had won at UL Lafayette, we would have had an opportunity to play a Super Regional at Oxford. And I think the world could have exploded. Backing up a little bit more there, 2013, Vanderbilt, one of the best years in recent history in SEC baseball. They go 26-3 and in the league that year. State goes 16-14. and And you know what? It wasn't Vanity that ended up in Omaha playing for a national championship. It was Mississippi State with their 16-14 and 14 SEC record. Uh, State wins 
and uh, wins the regional, and then go and then goes and wins the super regional at Virginia, and advances to Omaha, and then we ultimately played for a national champ against a championship against UCLA. 2012 LSU won the league with a 19 and 11 record, the first team of the the only team of the decade to win the league without 20 plus wins, 20 to 20 plus wins. That year Mississippi State goes 16 and 14. We won the SEC tournament and then played in a regional, did not advance. That's the Chris Stratton year. But again, we put together a quality ball club that year. 2011, you had a three-way tie. South Carolina, Florida, and Vanderbilt all went 22 and 8. Mississippi State goes 14 and 16 that year. Uh, we make it to the postseason. We go to a regional. We win the regional, and we go to the Supers, and we take Florida to three games that year. That's the Nick Vickerson year. Remember the big walk-off in game two? And then, uh, you know, Kevin, Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, Gator Chops, John Cohen in the dugout, which I think is, you know, still one of the most low-class things I've ever seen from an SEC coach. 2010, Florida wins the league with a 22-8 and record, and we're 6-24 and in the league, and we don't make it. So in the last 10 years, you begin to kind of put this thing together. And we always talked about these great decades we've had in Mississippi State baseball. We said, you know what, hey, this was a great year. This was a great run. You begin to look at this thing. We've had four different coaches in the last 10 years. We've made the regional eight times in 10 years. The only two years we didn't make it were 2010, 2015. We've made a regional every single year, eight of ten outside of those those two years. We've made the Supers six times, 2010, excuse me, 2019, 2018, 2017. We went three consecutive years. Uh, And then we make it in 2013. We make it in 2011. So when you begin to kind of break this thing down, you can see it's been a pretty good run for Mississippi State. And, of course, we make it to Omaha three times, 2013, 18, and 19. And so while we have talked many years about, okay, well, you know, we got to recapture the magic. I said a couple of years ago on this show, Mississippi State baseball is back. So what we went through, you know, in the 80s, and that's you begin to kind of stack this thing up. You know, this has been one of the best decades in our, our college baseball history. Now, I know that the good old days seem a whole lot grander in hindsight. But let's look at our history as a baseball program here. In the 1970s, we went to the College World Series twice. 1971, that's with Ted Milton and Dave Ferries and that great group there. 1979, Mike Kelly was part of that group. Uh, I guess Nat Showalter was part of that group. So we go twice in the 70s. In the 80s, which many people consider the greatest decade of Mississippi State baseball it's not but people consider it that way we went to Omaha twice 81 and 85 81 of course uh you know it's a big Bruce Castori year Mark Gillespie those guys did a great job for us but we only went twice in the 80s we went three times in the 1990s that 1990 team one of the more unprobable runs to Omaha you know, 89, of course, we were absolutely loaded. Many people consider that the greatest team in the history of Mississippi State baseball. And while that team may not have had a Clark or Palmero on it, they were more solid one through nine, a much better offensive team than 85 was. 85, pretty good defensively. But the 89 team absolutely exploded, broke many school records. But 1990 is the group that makes it to Omaha. 89, Mississippi State, number one team in the country much of the year. We get upset by North Carolina in the regional. 
And then in 90, we break through and make it to Omaha. It's crazy to think about that. We didn't make it back to Omaha until 1997. 97 and 98, of course, that's Polk's last year, McMahon's first year. Those are the uh, Eric Dubos, Brian Weiss, Brooks Bryan, Chris Lauterhouse type years, Richard Lee, some great teams. But again, we only went to Omaha three times in the 1990s. In the 2000s, we went twice. Excuse me, went once, 2007. And that was, again, that was one of those teams that just kind of got hot late. That's the Mitch Moreland team. That's the Chad Crosswhite team. That's a team that really, you know, really overachieved and just simply got hot late. And there were a lot of people, you know, that was, you know, a lot of people thought Ole Miss was a chance at their breakthrough year, and uh, it, it proved not to be. You know, we had an absolutely great run to end the year. And then we get into the 2010s, and we've gone three, three, three times. So that matches the greatest decade of Mississippi State, you know, baseball history. And so this recent run that we're on, you know, we, we had the, the added round of games with the Super Regional, which really kind of leveled the playing field in many respects for mid-majors. Because everybody's got one to two good pitchers. But, you know, when we had those eight-team regionals, you know, most teams just simply ran out of pitching. And so the bigger Power Five type teams just about always advanced just because of the fact you just wore people down through a war of attrition. So it took us a while to kind of adjust to that. We got to host all the time. We Sometimes we'd get this peach of a draw, and we'd make it. But the recent run that we have had is basically unparalleled in Mississippi State College baseball history. And so I say that to say this. We are trending towards our first national championship. Don't know when it comes. Maybe it comes this year. I don't know. But we are trending in that direction because we are going deeper in the postseason with greater regularity. We're not having to gear up and all of a sudden you've got some junior-laden team and then they break through and then all of a sudden you're riding a roller coaster down through, you know, kind of reloading. You know, we've been able to sustain some success here for the last several years. And that's the thing that I think about when you go back. I mean, think about 2007. Let's even go back to 16. 16, you win the SEC championship and you're a number six national seed. And you get upset in the regionals by Arizona. And that's a weird year, too. That's the year that only three national seeds even advanced to Omaha. That's the Coastal Carolina year, right? They, they beat Arizona in the final. Should have been us. We should have been there. Probably a great chance for us to win the national championship, but we don't. But we win the SEC title in 16. In 17, you know, despite the fact that we lost a ton of pitchers to Tommy John, we still made it to Super Regional. Ended up just a couple of wins away from making it to Omaha. That's when we went down there and beat Southern Miss in the regional, and it was so difficult to get tickets and – did a great job down there and won that thing. 18, again, we win a Super at Vandy and we get to Omaha. 2019, a weekend we'll never forget, we win a Super Regional over Stanford. And so you go back and look in you know, the last four years that there has been a College World Series, Mississippi State has been right there in the mix, either going to Omaha or, or right there in the Super Regionals with a real chance to get to Omaha. And so the more times we go, the math just seems to work in your favor. Now, don't tell Florida State that, but you kind of understand my point. You know, we had some years, and you go back and look at it. I mentioned earlier, you know, we didn't go in 2010, and that's three years removed from an Omaha team. And then the very next year, we're in the Supers in 2011. We win the SEC Tournament Championship in 12 and get into a regional. 2013, we play for national championships. So you can kind of see the development they're kind of building and building. 14, we kind of reloaded a little bit 
when we lost that regional there. 15, we kind of hit the end of a talent cycle. And then 16, we're right back where we were. But we appear to be kind of avoiding those dips. You're kind of avoiding those 2010s. You're kind of avoiding those 2015s because you're consistently winning games. You're consistently in contention for some really big things. You're recruiting at a much better level right now. So it's a lot more sustainable than it once was. And a lot of that has to do with the commitment of our administration and our university to baseball. We revamped Dirty Noble Field, and all of a sudden, you know, it kind of tilts the recruiting balance of power in our direction. Now everybody, in many respects, is chasing us. And if you went to Vanderbilt this weekend, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's one of those things that it almost makes you disgusted. I mean, it really does. And listen, I'm, I'm not even going to discuss the scholarship situation at Vanderbilt. But when you look at what they have facility-wise compared to what we have facility-wise, there is no comparison. You could make the argument that Jones County Junior College has a much better grandstand than Vanderbilt does. And you think about all the money we've allocated for baseball, it just seems unfair that they've got two national titles and we have none. Now, we all know kind of the reason behind that. But listen, the bottom line is Tim Corbin and his staff put a quality, field on, a quality product on the field. They win a lot of ball games. No matter how they get those players, they still got to go win games, and they have. And so it still doesn't matter time before we get one. And I know it's one of those things, too, I just kind of feel like once the ceiling is burst for us that we're going to be a regular. I'm not saying that we're going to be LSU that was in the 90s. But I think once we win the first one and we prove we can do it, then all of a sudden you can kind of break through, too. And I think that opens some new recruiting doors for you that perhaps you hadn't had in the past. It's like, yeah, it's great. Duty Noble's great. Mississippi State's a great team. They win a lot of ball games, but they can't win the big one. And if you don't think that's used against us, you're kind of kidding yourself because that's the reality of it. He's like, yeah, you can go over there and do that. But you know what? You know, we're at LSU. We've won five national championships. You come to Vanderbilt, we've won two national championships. And so those are the things we're still kind of contending with. And so when you begin to look at this thing and say, okay, if we win the SEC regular season championship, there is no doubt that we're a top eight national seed. I don't think we have to win the SEC to be a top eight national seed. We're projected right now, I guess, by D1 Baseball to be number four. And for a long time, people were projecting Ole Miss to beat us. Now, you and I both know Ole Miss is not good at sports. So we expected to win that series, and we have. And then, of course, they've kind of gone in the tank and lost four weekends in a row. And they're not done losing ball games either. So they're not really in contention to host. I think people kind of realize that now. they still got some pretty big series, and we're going to break down the schedules a little bit later in the show. But when you go back and look the last few years, we've been a top eight national seed twice. Of course, that's in uh, 2016. Let me see what year was that. 2019 and 2016. In both years, we were number six. And we were all felt like that we were even undervalued at number six. But here's the deal. You know, once you get in there, once you're top eight national seed and you're guaranteed to host the regionals and the super regionals, you know, once you get to Omaha, you get to Omaha. And many of you have asked me, too, and I appreciate the questions. Steve, would you rather be in Arkansas's bracket or Vanderbilt's bracket when we get to Omaha? Well, assuming we all three make it, I would rather play Arkansas at TD Ameritrade. In that big ballpark, I think that neutralizes a lot of their offense. I just don't think they're going to be able to hit home runs with that same regularity. I think we're going to be able to go out there and pitch and – I think also, too, we have learned a lot, and I think our guys are probably itching to get another shot at Arkansas. I'd rather be in that bracket and then have a chance to play Vanderbilt for a national championship in a three-game series because I believe 
they're going to be kind of arm weary. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to make it to the National Championship Series. I won't be surprised if they get upset in a Super Regional somewhere, just kind of depending on who they get. I think offensively there are a lot of question marks in that lineup. You go back and look at what happened on Sunday. It wasn't their offensive prowess that beat us. It was our own ineptitude defensively and on the mound that beat us. And I'm not making that. I'm not making that about Jackson Fristo. I'm just saying that you know we we were not overpowered. You know we got a four nothing lead and then we don't score a run for the next seven innings. It's difficult to win a ball game when you you have seven shutout innings to close a ball game. So I would love another chance at Vanderbilt. I don't know that we get one because I don't think they're built for Omaha the way some people are suggesting. I think when you begin to break this thing down, you can see, you know what, hey, they're built, they're built for a super regional, and that's true. But do they have the offense to win a bracket at Omaha? I don't know if that's really the case. I don't know if we have the offense to win a bracket at Omaha. But I think if we had a chance to match up with those guys again in the best two out of three on a neutral field, I like our chances. I really do. I don't know that I wouldn't throw off against Rocker. Maybe save my, maybe save uh, McLeod, you know, for game two, or, or, or throw Bednar in game two and McLeod for uh, the national championship game. Because I think Will Bednar really overpowered them at times. So I'm not scared of Vanderbilt, and I'm really not scared of Arkansas in a bigger ballpark. I think they're a team that's very dangerous. I said that after the opening weekend. You know, a lot of the, some of these Ole Miss Twitter trolls trying to say, hey, Steve, who was the most impressive team in Arlington? Well, to me, it was Arkansas. I thought Ole Miss was very good, though. I'm not taking anything away from that weekend they had. Uh, I, I said back then that I didn't think they were for real. Arkansas scares me for a couple of reasons. They have this esprit de corps. Number one, they're a veteran team. They're going to lose a ton next year. But they're a team that's kind of built for this year. But they have this esprit de corps like they never expect to lose. And no matter the circumstances, they think, you know what, we're going to figure it out. And next thing you know, somebody hits a bomb, and he kind of gets that dugout going. They begin, okay, here we go. Here's our run. They don't have dominant pitching, but they have this dominant belief that we can beat anybody we want to whenever we have to. That's what's scary. You go back and look at that Arkansas-Texas Tech game the very first weekend of the year, Arkansas had no business coming back winning that ball game. But they began to kind of believe it is their destiny. It is their manifest destiny to win an AFL championship this year. And belief is a difficult thing to overcome. There's a big difference in belief and then this, you know, this you know, empty confidence that like they have a throw at Oxford. You know, Arkansas has proven it on the field for year after year after year. They're kind of like us. They're just knocking on the door of that national championship, and you think, okay, it's just a matter of time. They're going with a greater regularity. They're recruiting at a better level. They're committing to better facilities, and it just seems like, you know what? It's kind of a race between us and them to see who's going to win one first. You know, at Ole Miss, it's a much different situation. You know, I don't think they've got a bunch of grinders on that team. I think that's what Arkansas and Mississippi State are founded on. I think we, you know, it's like I've heard people say, you recruit who you are. Now, you may go out and offer a bunch of other kids, but you attract the guys that mirror your value system, guys like Tanner Allen. I mean, Tanner Allen is not a projected professional baseball player. We played him at first base. We tried him some at second. He's playing in the outfield. When the game is on the line, I want that guy at the plate. He is going to deliver because he is a grinder. And so when you begin to kind of look at those teams, you know, teams like that that are built to grind, 
they're going to wear you down. They may not look so pretty in a uniform. They may not be all prospecty. You know what I mean? It it may not look like the University of Texas, and I think they're a fraud too, to be honest with you. But when you begin to kind of break this thing down, you know, all of a sudden you get these teams out here that are grinding out at bats and running pitch counts up and they get into your bullpen and then you got guys out there dancing around on the bases getting your pitcher's head. Those teams win. It's not the teams that have their SID do their best baseball playing for them in the preseason. They're constantly emailing Aaron Fritt and, and uh, you know, Teddy Cahill and Kendall Rogers telling everybody how great they are. And if you don't think that happens, you're kidding yourself. There's some people out there that absolutely inundate the college baseball media. And then, listen, that's their job. But there are some people, that's the best job they do all year. It's like they're preseason national champions. They're preseason top eight national seed. They're always preseason eight for Omaha until it's time to go play the dadgum games. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, well, all this talent we got, why are we losing? Our coach must be awful. No, your coach is not awful. It's just you've got unrealistic expectations of your team because everybody else has told you how great you are. Well, Miss was picked the West, and Arkansas was picked third in the West. I, I said on this show then, I think people are sleeping on Arkansas. I think people are sleeping on Arkansas. I said it then, and I meant it, and I mean it now. If we get a chance to play them in Hoover, you know, we'll see how the pitching matches up. I'd love to play them in Omaha, though. I would absolutely love to play them in Omaha because I think we can run and defend an outfield pretty well, pretty well. You know, I think Braywin Skinner gives us some advantage out there and left. You know, and they're a team, too, that's kind of built to play in their ballpark, and they came down here and played pretty well in ours. And those are the things you look at and kind of scare you a little bit. You know, but you know, I think Arkansas is the one team I look at and I say, you know what, if those guys get on a roll, they could roll right to a NAFL championship. So that's kind of how this thing breaks down. And, again, we'll break down the schedule just a little bit later in the show. But I'm excited about our prospects. You know, again, you begin to think about, okay, we win 2021, 2022 games. We're assured of a top eight national seed. Probably get one even at 18 and 12 because of RPI. And let's take a look at the RPI before we move on. All right, so according to D1 Baseball, and of course the NCAA will have their own RPI, which is the Ratings Performance Index. But according to D1 Baseball, Arkansas, number one in the RPI. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. So chances are, if the tournament started tomorrow or this weekend, Arkansas is your top national seed in the tournament. Number two is Fairfield. They're still 25-0, and and they have a real chance to go undefeated in a regular season. They don't really play anybody. Their team, too, it's going to be interesting to see how the committee handles this. You know, Fairfield obviously is a team that, uh, you know, their strength of schedule is not very good, but they're still winning, and uh, they're two in the RPI. So what do you do with them? Well, they're not going to be a top eight national seed which will raise a lot of fuss and everything else. Probably the best thing that could happen for the NCAA committee is for Fairfield to get upset at some point. But I don't know how you don't make them a host site. And how do you not make them uh, in, in the 16? And if they go undefeated and win their conference tournament as well, I could, you could certainly make a case that they deserve to be a top eight national seed. That'll be awfully interesting because there could be some people out there that think that they're more deserving because they played uh, you know, higher quality competition. What's interesting, too, is Fairfield playing just about every game at home, 20-0 at home. Vanderbilt, number three in the RPI, not unexpected. Tennessee, number four, and, of course, that's, uh, that's, that hasn't been updated since uh, their loss tonight. TCU is number five. Mississippi State comes in at number six. Oregon, seven. Texas, eight. Arizona, nine. South Carolina, ten, which really makes that series next weekend even more important because that's going to be a nice RPI builder for Mississippi State. You want to know one of the reasons why we hadn't rescheduled Jackson State, Mississippi Valley, well, this is one of the reasons why. We're right in the thick of things for a top eight national seed. We don't need to do anything hurts our RPI. Uh, UNC Charlotte is 11, which is uh, kind of interesting. So good for those guys. They could be somebody that could ruin somebody's season. Wright State, they're at 12. ECU at 13. You know, Cliff Godwin's done a good job there. It's incredible to think that he hadn't had a big job, big job since then. You know, why hadn't he had a chance to go really get into Power 5 and do something major? We'll see. Uh, Notre Dame there at 14, Ole Miss at 15. And Ole Miss is doing everything they can to demonstrate to the committee that they don't deserve to host. And their, their regular season record will reflect that. Oklahoma State there at 16, Old Dominion 17, Southern Miss 18. Southern Miss could certainly play their way in. Uh, to host it. And right now they're projected as a number two seed in the Starkville Regional, according to D1 Baseball. Uh, and I'm perfectly okay with that. But I, I think they're a team, too, when this thing begins to break down. You know, they've got, you know, some games on their schedule, too. They could win their league and possibly play their way into a hosting side as well. How interesting would that be if Mississippi State and Southern Miss host and Ole Miss does not in a year when a lot of people thought Ole Miss was, a you know, the good number one in the country and had the big loud opening weekend there out, out in Arlington, uh, that probably will not sit well with the Mike Bianco detractors in Oxford if Southern Miss happens to host along with Mississippi State. But the bottom line is this. Whether we win the regular season SEC title or not, and again, a little bit more about that later in the show, all we have to do is continue to win, and we're going to be a top eight national seed. And I know on Sunday we dropped that game, and there, you know there's always these – People that don't understand the process and, oh, well, that's it. You know, no, no, that's not it. No. 
by winning the game at Vanderbilt, one game, number one, that kept you in the race to compete for the SEC regular season title, but it also gave you a nice boost in the RPI. We have one of the few wins over Vanderbilt this year. You begin to look at their, you know, their record. I think sometimes people forget, you know, they're 31 and seven, 31 and seven. One of those losses to us, two to Georgia, one to Tennessee. You know, so you know, there's only a handful of schools that can claim a win over Vanderbilt. So now that we've got that one, we'll ride that. And listen, like all of you guys too, I wanted to win that game on Sunday, and we let them off the hook. We did. We would really be in the thick of things, not needing much help from anybody else if we won that ball game. We, we, we wouldn't be controlling our own destiny because we'd still be a game behind Arkansas. But with Arkansas having to play, you know, some teams that uh, are capable of beating them down the stretch here, you know, I don't expect them to sweep these series. We have a chance to sweep these series, so we have a chance to catch them in the standings. If we won that game at Vanderbilt, I would say it was almost a guarantee. But that's where it stands today. Hope you guys kind of understand. Mississippi State in position to be a top eight national seed again, and we don't need anybody's help to do it. We just have to go take care of our own our own house of cards. Our RPI is good. Uh, you know, our strength of schedule is good. We are doing the things that we need to do. We just have to continue to do them. Today's top ten list brought to you by the fine folks at JohnnyPacker.com. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y Packer.com. And at least once a week, I have somebody that messaged me and say, hey, Steve, what's the name of that sunglass company you're working with now? It's JohnnyPacker.com. That's who it is. Mississippi State guys through and through. Great company. Great products, great glasses. You can check them out, figure yourself. And I've, I've had multiple people tell me now, multiple people say, you know what, hey, Steve, these might be the most comfortable sunglasses I've ever worn. I mean, honestly. You know what, sometimes you buy them and you got all this slack and everything else and they don't fit your face or they're too tight or whatever, they pinch your nose. That's just not the case. You're going to get some new sunglasses. You owe it to yourself to do it. Most of you still have your stimulus money anyway, right? Take care of yourself. Order yourself some, and maybe your significant other as well. I mean, many of these glasses, the frames are named after Mississippi towns because these are Mississippi folks. Also, a portion of each purchase goes to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Listen, we all know how awful that disease is, and any money that can be raised to help the suffering and perhaps one day lead to a cure, it's great to be part of that. So, again, that's johnnypacker.com. Go check out the website. Order yourself some glasses. You got, you got all kind of stuff coming up, whether it be an anniversary or a birthday or whatever. Or maybe you're just going on a summer trip or a beach trip coming up and say, you know what, hey, let me, let me do something a little bit special for the person I love. Let me get them some new sunglasses. Look no further than johnnypacker.com. Okay, today's top ten list, Phil Collins. I had a couple people reach out recently, and uh, I apologize for not remembering the name. But I had somebody more recently say, hey, Steve, you hadn't done Phil Collins yet. Uh, So we're going to do some Genesis stuff, and then we're going to do the Phil Collins solo stuff. I didn't do a lot of the Prague stuff from Genesis in the Peter Gabriel days, so went more with the top 40 version of Genesis. And so we're going to get into that, and there's also a lot of solo stuff here. And so here are the honorable mentions that didn't make the list. It's Take Me Home, which is a great one. It almost made the list. I Can't Dance, kind of a silly one. Susudio, which was a huge radio hit for Phil Collins. You'll Be In My Heart, of course. That's one of the Disney classics. 
And then against all odds, that was uh, that's one too that I really agonized over. I almost put it in there. Probably should have put it in number ten. I'm kind of second guessing that, but uh, against all odds, a great tune, and and from a great movie. Take a look at me now. Yeah, you you know you're talking about. All right, so here are the top ten Phil Collins songs as uh, reported by me on this show. You may have your own list. You may disagree. I think we'll all agree on number one. But you may disagree maybe on this on the the, the, the the first five. All right, so here we go. Number ten, after the Genesis reunion, it's a song Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. It was part of a Budweiser commercial, if I'm not mistaken. Big hit for them. Number nine, that's all. One of those ones too, you, it's like you think, well, what song is this? And all of a sudden you listen to it and you're like, oh, I remember this. It's got a great, great rhythm to it, and I thought Phil Collins' vocal on it was really good. Number eight, also from the Genesis reunion, it's Invisible Touch. She seems to have that invisible touch. I thought Phil did a great job on the vocal. Lyrically, it's pretty good, too. Number seven, one of the Phil Collins solo songs, and really a song that a lot of people should probably listen to. Is one, it is one of gratitude and also, too, one of self-awareness. It's called Another Day in Paradise, and it, it really talks about how there are so many people around us that are dealing with so many negative things in life, and, and more times than not, we kind of overlook that and think that our problems are somewhat unique, that our problems are so bad and we forget how good we have it as we live another day in paradise. Number six, from the Genesis years, it's misunderstanding. There must be some misunderstanding. You know the song. And many of you young guys are going to hear these songs and think, I've heard these songs, I just never know who sang them. Well, that's the Genesis track. Number five, and this one has been covered in recent years, uh, let me see here for a second. I guess it was St. Asonia, which is uh, Adam Gautier from uh, the original singer from Three Days Grace, his second band, St. Asonia, who is really good. If you liked early third, Three Days Grace, you should listen to St. Asonia. They covered it, and then Hell Yeah, which is uh, the former Vinnie Paul band, God rest his soul. But Chad from Mudvayne from Hell Yeah did a great job covering I Don't Care Anymore. So some cool covers, I Don't Care Anymore, is one of those in-your-face type songs. And it is truly a rock song that maybe wasn't performed originally as a rock song. But to hear these other bands kind of cover it, you, you, can, you can hear the angst and maybe the anger come out of it a little bit more because it's a little more direct. Number four, at one time this was my favorite song. I had this on 45 to kind of date myself a little bit. Number four is Easy Lover. It is a duet with Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire, who is one of the greatest singers of that genre. There is, without a doubt, Philip Bailey is phenomenal. And you say, well, Steve, who's Philip Bailey? Well, uh, you remember September from Earth, Wind, and Fire? That's kind of, it was kind of one of his huge hits with them, with EWF. But Easy Lover is awesome. And the percussion on that song is awesome. Phil Collins played the percussion on that album. Phil also a very underappreciated drummer. Number three, and uh, the gentleman that reached out to me most recently about the Phil Collins list, he said this would be his number one. It's my number three, but it's I Wish It Would Rain Down, and Eric Clapton plays lead guitar on this, and the, uh, the video for it's really good as well. You maybe want to go look that up. But it's just really one of those things where it's like, you know, it's in a relationship, and, you know, I stop by to check on you and see how you're doing and everything, but it's like, you know, it's just this lover's lament type thing, and just wish the rain would just fall on me and just wash all this away. It's, uh, it's kind of a gut-wrenching song, but 
there so years ago you guys may not remember this in the late 80s early 90s hoopers in Hattiesburg used to have these uh, crank it up competitions and so everybody would kind of fine-tune their car audio system to play these songs and there would be these competitions everybody would come and they would rate you on clarity and whatever it was tremendous and it was a great marketing tool for hooper but i wish it would rain down was one of the songs one year so what rather than you know some rap song or a rock song or something it was i wish it would rain and a lot of it's just because of how rich and how layered that sound is i mean sonically it is a tremendous song put it in your car today and turn it on when this spotify list comes out go check it out Number two, my favorite Genesis song, and I know many of you may disagree, and that's okay. You reserve the right to be wrong, but it's Land of Confusion. Incredible video, too. That has also been covered in recent years by Disturbed, David Draymond from Disturbed. Uh, Dave, I'm a big fan of David Draymond. Dave used to be on Twitter. I used to interact some with Dave. Dave was a guy who would always respond to you, and then uh, anti-Semitism got to be such a big deal because Dave is a devout Jew despite the fact that he, he is a rock star. And, and uh, not that I want to get too into religious discussion too much here, but Dave Draymond, and I've had this discussion before uh, on social media, he doesn't have tattoos because when he passes away, he wants to be buried in Jewish cemetery. That's how, that's how important it is, too. He's the only rock star I know that doesn't have a single tattoo. But Dave Draymond does a great job on landing confusion. But uh, I love the original. I love that video. And uh, there are so many cool things about this song. It's one of those things, too, that... Um, it just, it's such a wild ride, too. I mean, the, the song itself, sonically, is kind of unique to, to everything else. But uh, number one, speaking of unique songs, I mean, how many, how many songs do you know that um, there's just not much music behind it? It's basically a cappella over a, a bit of a, a percussion line for a while with a couple of fill-ins from a guitar, but it's in the air tonight. And everybody knows that song, no matter where you've been, where you're from, how old you are. Everybody's heard that, and everybody knows the drums. And I can thank uh, Mike Tyson from the movie Hangover, you know, for helping that reach a new generation of fans. But In the Air Tonight is one of the best songs ever written. And uh, there's been a lot of mystery about, you know, what the song is about. And a lot of people said, oh, he witnessed a murder or whatever. Uh, Phil has never really uh, spoken a lot about that. And it's kind of let people let the song take them where they want to go. That's also a great version of this one, too. A great version by one of my favorite modern rock bands, Nonpoint. They did a cool version of In the Air Tonight. And I've had a chance to meet Elias Soriano and the guys from Nonpoint. And uh, they almost didn't do it. You know, because this is one of those songs that a lot of people didn't want messed with. But I think Nonpoint did the song justice. And also, too... It kind of brought that out. I know when in the early 2000s or mid 2000s when this song, when their cover came out, I would go to high school football games, and and then the high schools were playing that song to play a nine points version of In the Air Tonight. So go check it out. I really like this list, and I thank you guys for the suggestion. If you have suggestions for the top ten list, reach out. And let me know. I'm happy to do them. I might just use yours. And we've had some great suggestions here as of late. Um, the homie Reed Sparks reached out and said, "Hey Steve, I went to a concert recently." How about your top 10 rock concerts? Maybe we'll do that soon, too. And, I, and I'll do non-festivals because I've seen some great bands at festivals at Rocklahoma and places like that. But uh, there's something different about being able to watch somebody do a full set rather than just do a handful of songs. So maybe we get to that next week. But that's your list for today. Reach out to me on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR. If you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life anyway? 
All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody up there will treat you like family because in their mind, you are family. Many of you commuter students may use their free parking lot. They have a free parking lot out behind the building there. You can park for free. You can walk campus. You don't have to buy your parking pass. You can just park over there. And if, you, if you're running short of supplies and you forget your calculator or an ink pen or whatever, you can just stop there at Campus Bookmart and pick one up on the way to, on the way to class. How cool is that? If you're not a college student, or perhaps you live in the dorms, maybe you're looking for new Mississippi State merch, and we always are, right? And that's the thing Miss Kathy Brown does a great job doing there at Campus Bookmark, is they keep new information, new merchandise available in all forms of social media. There's new arrivals almost every day. Anything out there that's got an M over S on it, Kathy Brown's going to get it for you. Because it's not just a business to them, it's a passion. They want to make sure that you guys are outfitted and you're able to rep the Mississippi State brand in every way possible. So if you're looking to decorate your home, your office, or outfit your pet, yourself, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's look around the league before we kind of break down your rooting interest. We'll kind of look at the schedules here and kind of look at what you need to be, who you need to be cheering for and why. So an interesting night in the Southeastern Conference on uh, Tuesday night. Of course, Mississippi State did not have a midweek game, took a break. Probably good, too. Probably This is probably a good time. You get a little bit of a break here before we get into the home stretch. Uh, LSU takes care of Grambling 7-0. Kentucky... Tough one with East Kentucky. I mean, Eastern Kentucky has been very difficult for SEC teams in the midweek, even though they haven't won one yet. Kentucky beats them 7-6. You may recall Eastern Kentucky nearly beat Vanderbilt here a couple weeks ago. Lipscomb, I think, has played everybody in the league except for us, and they've played Kentucky and Georgia and Vanderbilt. Well, they finally get a big win tonight. They take down Tennessee 4-1. to How cool is that? So strike it up, Lipscomb. We're proud of you. Georgia Tech goes into Athens. And uh, takes down the Bulldogs 7-5. to Georgia Tech, another one of those teams, too, I think at times is a little bit overvalued as a program. That's a pretty good win for them. Uh, South Carolina takes down the Citadel. Mississippi State will be playing the Citadel uh, next week. Next week on the road as we head down to Columbia. I think it's two hours from Columbia to the Citadel. I considered going to do that. I just could not find a way to justify being gone for five nights. But um, So I'll miss that game, so I'll be with you all. But um, – the Citadel goes to South Carolina. Interesting ball game. Nine-five winners there. So, both of Mississippi State's opponents for next week facing off this week. Uh, Missouri loses again, and it, it is amazing to think how bad this Missouri team is. Thirteen to eight to Kansas State, and then Texas State is shut out in College Station for nothing by A and M. Uh, looking ahead, you know we know what the weekend's going to look like for the most part, but. Um, you know, everybody now after tonight is kind of shut it down and kind of getting ready for this home stretch. Then the last series of April as we get into the last month of the regular season. Thursday night, you'll have a couple of games to watch. And if you're like me, I can't wait for those Thursday night games, even though we're not playing in them more times than I. I can't wait for those series because it gets me excited for our weekend. Auburn will be at Georgia and then Kentucky at Tennessee. We really need Nick Mangione and Kentucky to go down there and take a couple from Tennessee. You know, we don't play Tennessee this year, so we could use the RPI boost from Kentucky. You know, Kentucky split with Louisville this year, but um, 
you know, and we don't play Georgia, so if Auburn can go get a game or two from Georgia, that'll help us a little bit too in the RPI. So your rooting interest in those two series are clearly, you know, the road teams. Looking ahead to the rest of the league, uh, so you kind of know how we feel about most of these teams. Uh, Vanderbilt is at Florida. You know, we really need a sweep there from Florida because I don't think Florida can hold up. It's not going to happen, though. I think the best we can hope for here is that uh, Florida takes a game, and then you know, if we can get a sweep, then we pick up a game on Vanderbilt in the standings. We need a sweep, and we need Vanderbilt to split with Florida. We'd love for Florida to take the series. That would be great for us. But that's kind of how it's going to break down. And then, again, they're on the road down in Florida. And Florida's kind of figuring some things out, too. They're kind of just laying in the reeds there. They could be a team getting up in Omaha as well. Arkansas is at LSU. I think this is going to be a very entertaining series. I really do. I think Arkansas is one of those teams, too, that, um, you know, their pitching is just so up and down. And in that offensive ballpark, LSU and Arkansas together, I mean, you might see some church league softball scores all weekend. I mean, it could be an absolutely wild weekend in Baton Rouge. So watch that one. We really need LSU to to win the series. I mean, if LSU wins the series and we we sweep A&M, we're right there tied for first place. I think that might be asking a bit much of the Tigers, especially against that loaded Arkansas offense. But so, again, we need a split there. And then a sweep for us, pick up a game in the standings, and all of a sudden we're a game back with three weekends left. Uh, Missouri at Alabama, you know, we'd love for Missouri to win. We're going to play both of these teams. There's really no RPI gain for us either way. And we mentioned Auburn being at Georgia. South Carolina's at Ole Miss. Obviously, we'd love for South Carolina uh, to win that series just because, uh, you know, our two favorite teams are Mississippi State and whoever's playing Ole Miss. And I think, too, Ole Miss is absolutely reeling now. If Gunnar Hoglund can go, you know he's going to go. And, 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 and he should. But he shouldn't put his future at risk. And, I, listen, I don't want any of these kids to get hurt for any team. You know, it's like if they get a little bit banged up and don't play well against us, okay, then so be it. I hope they make a full recovery on Monday. But, um, you know, let's get a little deeper in this, though. Let's look at the teams that we're chasing and kind of look at these schedules. We mentioned Arkansas and Vanderbilt. Arkansas, in the final few weekends, really has a difficult schedule. And it's really advantageous to Mississippi State, where we don't. You know, we have – us and LSU probably have the best schedules down the stretch. So, we mentioned before, Arkansas at LSU. Well, then they get Georgia at home. Now, Bomb is a tough place to play, but South – I mean, Georgia does have a little pitching. So, I could see Georgia taking a game. Then Arkansas goes to Tennessee. Tennessee does have some pitching, and they do have the one-night game. And here's the thing I'll tell you about Tennessee that I've learned because I went up there. It's amazing what you learn by actually getting in the car and going. Uh, You don't hit hit home runs in Knoxville at night. It's something about the way the wind shifts off the mountain at night. The air gets a little cooler or whatever. And so if you don't hit home runs before the sun goes down, you don't hit them. You have a lot of balls just down on the track. And that's what happened when we were down there taking some selfish swings a couple years ago. So I could see Tennessee winning that Friday night game. And, of course, the next two games are middle of the day, so you may have some balls leave the yard. And then Arkansas hosts Florida. So they're going to face, you know, three teams right now that, that are projected to be in the NCAA tournament field. And then the one that's not is LSU at Alex Box. It's crazy you think about that. they got to go to the box, and then they get Georgia, Tennessee, Florida. There's room for us to get some help with the Razorbacks. So there's, Arkansas is not running away with anything uh, when it comes to how, how this SEC race is going to play out. 
So let's look at Vanderbilt. You know, we know Vanderbilt, obviously a very capable team. they got two great front-line pitchers. Uh, but they're also a team, too, that is kind of vulnerable offensively. You know, we're chasing those guys, so we kind of know that uh, we need somebody along the way to help us. But we have some help available. A lot of people have kind of wondered if Jack Leiter is in a pitching slump or whatever. Uh, I don't know, but I know this. I know as much as those guys pitch and as much as they uh, they kind of go through here and the things that they ask them to do, it is uh, very, very, very easy to think, that, you know what, they're, they're going to be really arm weary at the end of the year. That needs to happen. But I hope they, they have great pro careers. So Vanderbilt, of course, at Florida this week. Then they host Alabama, and that's probably their best chance to sweep down the stretch. Then they go to Ole Miss, and it's going to be weird that weekend because we're probably going to be rooting for Ole Miss. I guess technically we'll be rooting for Vanderbilt to lose. But Vanderbilt, a road trip to Oxford in an offensive ballpark uh, against a team that's going to be pretty desperate. You know, I think Ole Miss at that point will have lost, you know, a couple more series and, and be in a situation that they're going to give Vanderbilt their best shot. I just don't think that there's going to be enough for Ole Miss to win the series. But we need the Rebels to take a game. And then they host Kentucky to end it and uh, need Nick Mangione to get a game for us. And so you can see every one of these, you say, okay, you know, the trip to Florida, that's probably a split. Alabama could be a sweep. Ole Miss looks like a split. Kentucky could be a split. So you start looking at this thing and say, okay, well, Steve, they may only lose two to three games down the stretch. And so that just puts more pressure on us. We're going to have to sweep those three series. And, again, we're going to have to play exceptionally well to have a chance to win the SEC championship. But, again, there is some help available. We just have to find a way to make up two games uh, there against them. And so let's look again at a couple other other teams, and then we'll kind of move forward here. You know, we're right there with Florida and South Carolina in the standings at 11-7. and seven. And so let's look at this Florida schedule. You know they play Vanderbilt this weekend. That's a huge, huge series for us, even though we're not playing in it. Uh, but Florida, of course, ends the year to Arkansas. But those two middle series are, again, those are some games, too, you look at and say, you know, Florida, if they play their best baseball, they could win. If they play like they have been, it could be difficult. So they host Vanderbilt, and then they go to Kentucky. Then they host Georgia, and they're at Arkansas. And so all of those teams are going to be playing for something. Vanderbilt's still playing for, you know, a national seed. Uh, Kentucky's playing to get in the tournament. Georgia, of course, is projected as a two-seed in tournament than Arkansas. So there's not going to be any, any dead weekends in the Florida Gator schedule. They're going to be playing teams that are still playing for this year rather than playing for next year. South Carolina, again, kind of our surprise team uh, this year in the league, probably performing a little bit above expectations. You look at the schedule, too, and, again, you know, we, we have a chance to take care of business when we play them. It's not an easy place to play in Columbia, but we've got to find a way to go down and get a series. But they've got some other games down the stretch, too, where we could get some, uh, some help. Of course, they're at Ole Miss this weekend. We go to their place. Then they're at Kentucky, and then they host Tennessee. And so you could conceivably look at this and say, you know what? They could win a couple series or they could lose all four. And so the, the traffic can clear for us in many respects here in the next couple weekends. But all we have to do is keep winning. We take care of ours. There are going to be enough teams that we're competing with around us that are going head-to-head to kind of help us clear the traffic. We just don't need any of those teams to sweep, bring all those teams to, to drop a game. And that's the thing you begin to look at is how crazy things work this time of year. You say, 
well, there's no way Alabama takes a game from Vanderbilt. You just never know in baseball. You just simply never know. Some, some nights you run into a pitcher that's having a game of his life. Who thought Georgia would take two out of three from Vanderbilt? I, I didn't expect that. I was just hoping they'd get one. They'd take two. And they took it in. They absolutely destroyed Vanderbilt in both of those games. They absolutely rocked Kumar Rocker. And so you can't take anything for granted. And you can't assume, okay, well, we drop a game here, this thing is over. you got to play every game. That's why every game is so important. It's not about how many series you win. It's about how many games you win. People say, well, you know, we got swept. Yeah, this doesn't matter. You know, that, that Sunday loss to Vanderbilt means just as much as that Friday night win against Auburn. In the standings, it all counts as one. While the RPI is different, and obviously the perception is different, you know, when they get ready to tally this thing up at the end of the year, they're just going to they're going to take all 30 games and say, okay, who won the most? Okay, well, that's the SEC champion. There's not going to be an asterisk that says, well, yeah, they won it by a game, but they lost – they got swept by Arkansas. None of that matters. All that matters is over the grind of an SEC schedule that you won the most games. And when you look at our schedule, I'd say outside of LSU, we probably had the easiest schedule in the conference down the stretch. Vanderbilt has benefited in the last several years – from how bad the SEC East has been, especially on the bottom end. Because they could just about guarantee a sweep over Kentucky and a sweep over Tennessee. Well, now all of a sudden Tennessee is better. Now all of a sudden Kentucky is a little bit better. Now all of a sudden Florida has kind of become Florida again. Now South Carolina has been getting to kind of round back into forms. Now all of a sudden Vanderbilt doesn't have this free pass to an SEC championship. What's interesting, too, we look back at – and you would think, you know, Vanderbilt's just dominated a league for the last decade or so. People forget how good Florida was. Vanderbilt, your regular season champs in 2019. Vanderbilt, your regular season champs in 2013. And then they had they were co-champions in 2011. So it's been three in ten years. And there's only been really the one year that they ran away with it, which is 2013, 26-3. And, and then we played for a national championship. So just because somebody has that great regular season, that's no guarantee of them making it to Omaha. As we learned in 2016 and 2000, excuse me, 2016 and 1989, we had our, one of the best teams in the country, and we didn't make it to Omaha. Ron Polk and I discussed that recently in an article that I wrote that, you know, it's not the best eight teams that make it to Omaha. It's just not. It's the eight hottest teams that make it to Omaha. There are a lot of times that, uh, you know, you, you go all out and you go out and you try to win your conference tournament and you, you kind of deplete your pitching depth and put yourself in a bad situation, you get upset in the regional. So managing these pitching arms, and that's one of the things that comes up a lot. People say, Steve, I don't understand why we don't push our starters to go deeper in ball games. Well, why would we when we have such a capable bullpen? Why would we stress them? And you can look and see what's happening at Vanderbilt, what's happening at Ole Miss, what's happened at LSU. You know, you, there's no point in having these elongated starts early and midway through the year and then your guys be arm-weary at the end. You remember Ethan Small? Yeah, I know you do. First-round draft pick, Milwaukee Brewers. You know, by the time we got to the postseason, Ethan was about done. I mean, he just – he didn't have the same Christmas. Now, he was out there competing his butt off for us. But, you know, we probably should have saved a little wear and tear in some innings earlier in the year so he would have been fresher in the postseason. When you see our guys going out there five or six innings and all of a sudden we get deeper in the year and we have to stress them out a little bit, we're going to be able to do it. And so I think the way Scott Foxhall is managing this is probably the right thing to do. you got plenty of guys out there that can eat up innings for you in the bullpen. It doesn't always work out, 
but the bottom line is there's just no point in our, our guys going out there throwing 120 pitches. Now all of a sudden they missed their next start. Now all of a sudden they've got some shoulder tightness or they've got some forearm inflammation. They've got some elbow tightness. You know, it doesn't matter how well you pitch February through May if you can't pitch in June. It just doesn't matter. It's just not important. The whole, the whole point of all of this is to go make it to Omaha and win a national championship. That's the one thing we haven't done. We've done everything else. We've played for it. We've been to Omaha 11 times. And we've come home with a, you know, with the participants medal. We come home with a, you know, we were a college World Series, re, you know, participant. We come home with a national runner-up trophy one time, and that, that's our biggest claim to fame right now. We want the big thing, and so we're managing everything now with Omaha in mind. That's the goal: is to get to Omaha and win the national championship. The goal is not to host. The goal is not just to be a top eight national seed. Those are two of our goals on our way to achieving our big goal, which is to win a national championship. And listen, we can pick our team apart, but let me tell you this, the more that I travel, the more fans I talk to, the conversations that we all have among ourselves about, oh, this guy's not doing this, everybody's team's the same way. Every team in contention will tell you, this guy's got to step it up. Why aren't we playing this guy? Why is this guy pitching? Why is this guy not in the game? Because everybody's emotionally invested in the outcome. And so I say that to say this, you know, we have a chance to do everything we want to do this year. Is this our greatest team? Absolutely not. It's not. But it could be our greatest result if the cards fall just right. We just have to simply keep winning, got to keep grinding this thing out. we got good leadership on this team. We'll just kind of see how things progress. Final segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan, we talked about him a little bit earlier. He's been to Omaha a couple times. He'll probably tell you all about it. We got to go to Omaha one time because Brooks Bryan robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. If you don't believe me, just ask him. He'll take you all the way through it. He will. But listen, because Brooks is a bulldog, Brooks cares about Starkville, Mississippi. Brooks, one of the uh, developers of the new Portico residential neighborhood. It's, just, it's really, really nice. If you hadn't been by there, let me encourage you, just ride out there and see for yourself. You can see, it's easy to hear me talk about it, but go see for yourself. If you're even thinking about, you know, maybe purchasing a home here or moving to Starkville or, you know, buying like a second home here and investing property, you need to go check them out. So when you come off of 82 onto 12, like going towards campus, it's the very first right. Pat Station Road becomes Garrett Road as you cross Old West Point Road. You're 1.1 miles from campus. How cool is that? You've lived your whole life as a bulldog, and you can live basically in the shadow of the goalpost of Davis Wade Stadium. 13-year-old, you would be awfully impressed. Portico's got houses just about for every size family. In 1,300 to 2,000 square feet, two-bedroom, two-bath, to four-bedroom, four-bath. Got that walking trail and pavilion areas. So if you want to do some entertaining and get out there and walk off some of those calories, you can. It's only going to be 51 houses total in the whole complex, and just about all of them in phase one are gone. You probably can get in there, probably one or two of them left. And they're going to be a lot more in phase two. That construction is going to get started here soon. They're, they're beginning to move dirt, kind of getting things ready to go. So you had missed out. But you need to give Brooks a call to get more information. Brooks Bryan is my friend. He'll be your friend as well. And he's going to do, make you guys your dream come true, your dream of moving to Starkville. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. If you need the number and you can't remember it, just message me. I'm happy to send it to you. 
Portico, make that your next move. Okay, so let's talk a little recruiting before we get out of here. So there have been some rumblings that Mississippi State is pretty close to taking a quarterback. Now, we haven't targeted many quarterbacks. We haven't offered many quarterbacks. I mean, less than 10, maybe. I think that's right, less than 10. And most of those guys are already committed somewhere else. And your quarterback recruiting this year is uh, really kind of an inexact science because of the fact, you know, people forget, you know, Will Rogers' freshman year doesn't count towards his four years of eligibility. So Will is still a freshman. He's a sophomore in the classroom, but a freshman on the field. Daniel Greek enrolled in January. He's a freshman. Sawyer Robertson will be here in about 30 days. He's a freshman. So you got three freshmen on the scholarship rolls at Mississippi State. So if I am a blue-chip quarterback, as much as I might like Mike Leach, as much as I might like the idea of playing in the air raid, that depth chart is kind of difficult to sell me on. It's like, you know, Coach, you know, do you really think I'm going to come in there and beat out Will Rogers, who's got two years of experience in the offense? Do you think I'm going to beat out Sawyer Robertson, a guy who was the second most prolific passer in the United States in high school last year? It's a tough sell. It is. And I know it's easy to say, well, you know, you know, you got to tell them what you got to tell them to get them on campus. And listen, I kind of appreciate that. But at the same time, too, you know, kids aren't stupid. They understand, hey, you signed two quarterbacks last year. You signed one the year before, and now he's a starter. So when am I going to play? And if they don't do that research themselves, the schools that are recruiting against Mississippi State will point that out to them. Say, you know, hey, listen, here's our deal. You know, we didn't sign a quarterback last year, or we signed one last year, and we're only going to sign one this year, and you're the guy. And there's going to be an open competition, and you got a chance to beat that guy out. You're not scared of competition, are you? Well, no, I'm not. Well, it's, it's one thing when you're competing against one guy who's also an underclassman, and you're competing against three. So Mississippi State, you know, the door has not been open, you know, for a lot of these blue-chip quarterbacks. It just hadn't. You know, we, we went through some of this a little bit earlier in the process. I think sometimes we forget – you know, that uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of ebb and flow to the recruiting process. You know, looking at these quarterbacks here, uh, according to 247 Sports, we have offered nine quarterbacks this year. I believe that is probably accurate. Mike Leach makes those offers. Mike Leach is very involved in all that. Quinn uh, Ewers, we offered out of South Lake Carroll, committed to Ohio State. Walker Howard, Jamie Howard's son. I committed to LSU, and that, that was actually an offer that was extended by Joe Moorhead years ago. Ty Simpson's a guy that Dan Mullen actually offered, and then Joe Moorhead pursued. He's committed to Alabama. Uh, Cade Klubnick from Westlake there in Austin, he's committed to Clemson. Tanner Bailey, a guy from across the state line there in Gordo, we really thought we had a really good chance to him. He's committed to Oregon and Joe Moorhead. Uh, Nico Marichal is committed to Florida State at Chandler, Arizona. And so you look at these guys, and, and like Gunnar Stockton, of course, uh, you know, committed to Georgia. So, but you look at these guys and you begin to think, hey, we're on the right kids. You know, we're out there offering these guys that are big-time quarterbacks. We just got to get one. Well, it looks like the guy we're going to get is Braden Locke. It looks like right now things are really trending well for Mississippi State. He has said that North Carolina and Mississippi State are his top two. He took in a spring game at Mississippi State, and they went to spring game at North Carolina. Then there was talk about, I'm going to set up some official visits. Well, I'm told that that time frame may be changing, and he may only take one official visit, and that would be to his school of choice. And so I understand that a commitment could come very, very, very soon. And listen, this is a guy that doesn't do a bunch of media, 
He's not a guy that draws a lot of attention to himself. In two years as a starter, he's thrown for over 7,500 yards and 92 touchdowns. Uh, the knock on him is that he's only about six foot six one. You know, he's not a huge guy, so he's not out there. You know, he's not getting a ton of these, you know, power five offers from teams that uh, are looking for an immediate starter. And so he's probably exactly what we need, but also exactly what we can attract. So it could happen today. It could happen next week. It could happen, you know, four or five days from now. I'm not exactly sure of the time frame, but I do expect Braden Locke to commit to Mississippi State here in the coming days. Now, this is a guy we have talked about on the message board now for, for a few months. And uh, even when, you know, it looked like that uh, Tanner Bailey may be coming to Mississippi State, you know, Braden Locke was a guy that uh, was already a topic of discussion over on Gene's page. And then almost immediately when it, it appeared that uh, Tanner Bailey was about to commit to Oregon, we offered Braden Locke. And so it's clearly a guy we've been on for a while, but it does appear now that Mississippi State has emerged as the leader for Braden Locke. If you go look at his film, he is, he is an air raid quarterback. He is a guy that's very decisive with the football. He has a big arm. And again, not the biggest guy, but neither was Gardner Minshew. And uh, Gardner Minshew, of course, uh, now playing in the National Football League after playing for Mike Leach. And Gardner was a guy, too, grew up a big Mississippi State fan, wanted to play at Mississippi State, didn't get the opportunity. I believe uh, you know, Troy was the opportunity out of high school, and then he ends up going to junior college. And lights it up there and then goes to East Carolina and was going to go to Alabama as a grad transfer and then decided to go to Washington State and put together one of the best seasons in the history of Washington State football. One of the most prolific passers in college football really kind of captivated a lot of people that were thought Washington State was going to play their way into the playoffs. If they'd beaten Washington that year, they probably would have. So I'm going to trust Mike Leach when it comes to quarterbacks. I'm going to encourage you guys to do it. And so when Mike Leach offers a kid, you need to pay attention. That's a guy, obviously, that the Pirate himself is kind of hand-selected. And so it looks like for the second straight year, Mississippi State will fill their quarterback needs out of the state of Texas. That's going to do it for today's show, man. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this and, and being so interactive with me on Twitter. And you guys do a great job with this, man. And listen, when you share the show, you're being the best friend your friends have. So retweet me or share it on Facebook. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, listen, so much of you guys have, have sent so many messages of encouragement, and uh, you've been so great to me and my family over the years. I just don't – I barely know what to say. There's so many of you that have come up at a ball game or uh, – like I was this past weekend, I'm in Nashville, and uh, every day that I'm walking into the, the ballpark or some state fan that comes up, hey, Steve, I love the podcast. And you know what? I love you too, and I thank you for that because there are a lot of nights I sit up here and I'm just hoping that I'm doing you guys a good job and kind of letting you know what's really going on with Mississippi State Athletics. And so – when you come up and, and share that with me, it means a lot. Listen, there are a lot of Mississippi State podcasts out there. I support them all. Uh, I don't have any enemies that I know of uh, when it comes to this podcasting thing. And so, you know, my hope is you'll support all of us. But uh, those of you that support me, I'm very, very grateful uh, for your support and uh, appreciate everything that you've done for me and my family. And many of you have bought books or subscribed to the website. And uh, it means more to me than I can ever say. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.